Since the dawn of time, mankind has searched for ways to shelter themselves from the elements. Over the centuries, these shelters have evolved from bamboo huts to concrete towers. The last few years, there's been a push to save the planet. Are you ready to embark on a more sustainable lifestyle? Look no further. You're about to enter the adventures of container home living. And now, contractor, radio and TV personality, and your host for Boxcar Universe, Steve Dubell. And yes, we'd like to welcome all of you to Boxcar Universe right here from the beautiful Boxcar Universe studios. And we have an outstanding show today with some fabulous guests. And I want everybody to make sure that they stay tuned. Don't even leave your device, whatever you're listening to us on, because we're everywhere, Mel. Everywhere on, I don't know how many different podcast channels, but we are here delivering what we promise every week. Yes, we are. Absolutely. And we want to let everybody know that... um, you know, our guest today, we're going to be getting into a discussion in a few minutes. We have the CEO from a great uh, organization here in the Valley of the Sun called Family Promise. And we're going to be talking with uh, Ted about his organization and what he's going to be doing in the community with uh, other, none other than shipping container homes. And we're going to be getting into that in a new community that's going to be being developed and, uh, with our resident builder, Carl Faust is here from IMS Builders and Affordable Homes. And uh, we're going to be talking with them in a few minutes. But we want to share with you, um, you know, we all do our segment of uh, Mel and Steve on the street. And uh, we're actually going to be on uh, streets real soon, but not here in the Valley <laughs> of the Sun. <laughs> yes. Las Vegas. Las Vegas. And we're, and it's, it, well, you know, everybody says, oh, you're going to Vegas. Well, what's, well, we're going for business. And we've got a lot of ground to cover while we're there. And especially Mel is going there for a few more days than I am. And she's going to be visiting a cup. You know, why is it that they put all these events all in the same week? Do they think we can just kind of like clone ourselves to go to each and every one, or we just have to pick and choose? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, honestly, it it's kind of convenient in in one sense because you get to to hit all the the great uh, booths in two separate locations. Um but I do remember when it was uh, you know, one week was the design furniture convention and then the following week was the builder show and then Kbiz and I would be in Vegas for two weeks solid. And, you know, I'm a mom and that, that's a lot. I run a business and, uh, it was a lot of time away or whether it was my employees and it it was just too much. So I, I appreciate that they do it all in the same week. It's a lot. Uh, the thing is, is they, you know, the market's going to close at five. So does the builder show. And so you really have to kind of pick and choose and, you know, for us designers, if we're taking CEU classes, I mean, that that takes up a portion of the day. Or if you're outsourcing materials and furnishings and things like that for a client, it it can be um, quite daunting. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I do go to Vegas twice a year, pretty much every year uh, for both of the markets. But it's really just for business. I try to get a show in occasionally. And uh, I did, you know, I did fly up just to see Adele uh on her opening night of course that and she came back yeah. on the plane beaming <laughs> yeah that was life changing um absolutely i waited since january you That's know right. last year to see her so i really don't go to vegas other than for work but i try to get a show in while i'm there why not <laughs> kind of need a little break in you know all that have walk. you been to fremont street <laughs> i've no no i haven't you been don't to, want to no, go no i haven't been to Fre- i've been to the strip but i haven't been to fremont i yeah. may have driven by it but you know well. but we've got a lot of things to do we're going to be doing that we're going to be going to a lot of these different events up there plus we're going to be talking to our people you know we mel and i are actually working with the phoenix police department and the phoenix dive team and a lot of you people may not know that Phoenix Police Department, they have a dive team when they have search and rescue. Okay. And I happened to be down there the other day talking with one of the gentlemen, uh, getting some more information because they would like us to uh, 
facilitate a container pool for their organization. And uh, we're going to be working with them on that. So there are plenty of people, um, you know, involved in that and looking forward to it. In the talking about massive facilities, when Mel and I were there, you know, I thought Mel was going to drive out with a SWAT truck, <laughs> but it was so big. But uh, uh, mom of three boys here, just uh, you know, disclaimer: it was yeah. pretty exciting. <laughs> so yeah, so we've got I, I you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be definitely have my walking shoes on when we go up there and uh, we're going to be bringing back a lot of great information that we'll be able to share with all our listeners, you know, and uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the amount of information that I think, I don't think a homeowner really understands sometimes like when they look at, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Mel, but I think that a lot of homeowners, when you go in as an interior designer that, you know, you, you get what you pay for, like in anything that you do, and you can't put a price on experience. You know, when people think that, oh, well, the designer, you know, this goes here or, or you buy this here. But, you know, like you said, there are classes. You go through this and everything and, and things change. And if you don't stay up on it, you know, you're going to be left behind. Right. You know, I mean, maybe, you know, they'll think that you're going to be doing their house in Navajo White. Yeah, all over again, Swiss which you coffee. did like Swiss coffee, um, you know, or the graying of America, you know, yeah. all those trends that you've gone through, but things keep changing. And if you don't stay up on your, on your, you know, what you do, then you're going to be having a problem. Well, and we've talked about this before where fashion and interiors, they go hand in hand, but you know, that's the styling aspect of design, but the technical side of design and I'll just give you a, a little quick, you know, we were just at the, mm. the home show this past weekend and I normally don't offer any design advice unless I am in contract with the client, but there was um, a gentleman that had approached my booth and, you know, let me know that he had had some issues with designers that he had hired in the past and very transparent. That's always a red flag, you know, being that either designer or builder coming in and what was the problem? Okay, now I'm the third one. What's happening here? But I decided to go out to their home and meet with them and look over some plans that were given to them by their designers. And instantly, I could see a ton of mistakes. And, you know, I'm a master cabinet designer as well. And so looking at those plans, I pointed out a few, a few different things to them. And I said, you know, this is massive because had your, you know, had you gone through with this project and you're giving these plans to your installer, nothing is going to work correctly. And I explained to them why. And, you know, of course they are now signed clients, which is great. And I'm excited to help them. But if I had not done that, they, you know, seeing why they were upset, I'm, I'm glad that that didn't work out. You know, I say, God does everything for a reason, right? And I felt that I needed to go out there to help them. Um, and even, even if they had not signed up as clients, I'm glad that I got to point out those few different things. And when you're looking at construction plans or you're looking at design plans, I think a lot of times people just assume that they are getting an actual designer when you go into a cabinet shop or you're going to a place that is sourcing stuff out. And that's not always the case. You know, you could tell that this person was new at what they were doing. There were no fillers in certain spots. Cabinet doors were going to hit next to certain things. And, and that's alarming because this is an actual company who is selling design um, but I just so happened to to make the decision to go out and meet with them. And I'm, and I'm glad that I did. And I, I really look forward to helping them. But, you know, say, having a designer um, is going to save you an actual designer. Thousands. Thousands, thousands of dollars. <laughs> Big mistakes, you know, can be made. And especially, and I'm saying this also not just for retailers, but for builders. A lot of builders or contractors don't have in-house design. It's important to have that you know, to have somebody look over your plans and making sure, you know, basic construction drawings, most of the time they're not detailed when it comes to, you know, your specs and elevations of what needs to go where. And so it's just important for people to think about that. It's worth the money that you're, you're spending on that designer. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I agree 100% because I've seen a lot of, as we used to say in the old days, homeowner horror stories. Right. where builders have gone in. And then the last thing that a homeowner wants to hear 
is you coming back at them as a contractor. Well, we have a change order for this, or we need a change order for that. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. You know, eventually if you hit them with too many change orders, they're going to start thinking about, well, wait a minute. Why wasn't this stuff planned out originally? And why are we doing this? And then you start to question your credibility. And that's when the relationship goes south Correct. really fast. And you don't want to, you don't want to do that. But, um, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to be speaking with Ted Taylor. As I said, he's the CEO of Family Promise here in Greater Phoenix, as well as Carl Faust from IMS Builders and Affordable Homes. So I want everybody to stay tuned. You are listening to Boxcar Universe. Stardust Building Supplies is your home improvement thrift store. Find salvaged and gently used cabinetry, doors, windows, appliances, lighting, plumbing, and much more. Save money, be green, and support the community. Shop and donate at Star Building Supplies Three Valley locations. For more info, visit stardustbuilding.org. All right, and we are back, and you're listening to Boxcar Universe right here on the uh, Boxcar Universe channel, as they say, right here. And as I said earlier, don't forget, you can catch us on all the different podcast channels, and uh, it's just whether you're on Apple, iHeartRadio, or, you know, the new um, boxcaruniverse.com website. Make sure the latest shows are there, plus all of our archive shows are there from from recently since we started our show last year, as well as uh, the image home improvement show, which goes back in the day, which was the predecessor to boxcar universe. So make sure you check all those out. There's some great information and uh, we're going to get started with our discussion today. I want to introduce Ted Taylor, who is the CEO of family promise here of the greater Phoenix area. And Ted, thank you for taking time out of your day to be on the show with us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Great. Tell us a little bit about what Family Promise is. So Family Promise is an emergency shelter for families here in the Phoenix area, but we're a very different kind of shelter. So there are five family shelters uh, here in the Valley. Um, I like to say we're the one that's different than all of them in this way. Most family shelters are large sites where people sleep and eat. Family Promise, conversely, our core model is we shelter in community. So we shelter in churches and synagogues all over the valley. So we have 48 different faith partners, all different faiths, and they provide the overnight bedrooms for our families, and they provide the evening meals and the breakfast and lunch supplies back at our day center. So it's a very different way to provide shelter. So uh, we're what is called an interfaith hospitality network. And we provide all the logistics for that network to work. But I believe with all my heart that this is an inspired model. And what I mean by that is that this is a dual mission model for serving homelessness. Here's what I mean. Instead of just being congregations helping families who've lost their homes, this is about families who've lost their homes serving congregations that want to live out their faith. So we provide shelter a week at a time at each of these congregations all across the valley and have been doing it that way for 23 years here in the valley. That's incredible. Wow. Absolutely. How did that, how did the, how did the, how did it begin? Like, so who had the initial thought of providing uh, help to the community in this way? So it was an interesting story. Karen Olson, who's a dear friend, she lives in Summit, New Jersey, was in a park in New York City helping a family, a a mom by the name of Lily. And she was just helping her with food and discovered that Lily didn't have a place to stay with her and her children, didn't have a place to stay that night. And it really disturbed Karen. And so she went back to her hometown in Summit and uh, called a meeting of the faith community to see if she could build a shelter. And Karen told me personally that in that meeting, in a short time, she figured out she would never build a shelter because what happened is the congregations volunteered to give their space up a week at a time 
to create a, a network of hosting congregations that would each host for a week. And then the families would go to the next church for a week and the next church for a week. And they created in back in 1984, what was called the first interfaith hospitality network. And it just worked. And I do want to say, and maybe this is the right time to say what makes it work is that families who lose their homes, roughly, just to give you some numbers, 84% of which are single mothers with young children, people who lose their home lose their community. They lose their connections, their work connections, their family connections, their friend connections. Everybody leaves. And so what makes this interfaith hospitality network type of shelter so powerful is it's the love of congregations that's healing these families. So I could tell you we have a wonderful staff and wonderful facilities across this country, but it is the love of congregations that make us who we are. And what they do is they love these children back to health. And if you were to talk to the mothers that we serve uh, across this nation, what you would find is that they'll tell you they can handle homelessness. They're courageous fighters, but they can't stand watching their children go through homelessness. So by these congregations stepping in to heal these children by loving them back to health every day, know their names, know their loves, play with them, it's powerful and it works. Um, I like to say, and I'm just going to mention this last thing, that I think there's a way to witness the miracle that happens in Family Promise every week. And that is that a family stays, we have four families at every faith congregation that we go to for the, for the week. And on Sunday morning, the last day that that family will ever be at that congregation, because our average congregation hosts every three months, and our average family is only in five weeks. So on Sunday morning, everybody knows what's happening that day. And that is that it is likely the volunteers at the congregation and the families will never, ever see each other again. And the tears between the volunteers at the congregations and our families, I believe is the miracle of family promise. You see, I believe with all my heart that this is a love immersion program that the way we're healing families across this valley is with love. And that model is of 25% the cost of traditional shelter because the congregations provide the food and shelter. It is beautiful in the way it works. The families love it when they're in it. And very few people know about it. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it here on the show today, but that's what makes Family Promise so different in the way we provide shelter. And then one final thing, you would never know this if you didn't talk about, if we didn't talk about this. Today, Family Promise is the largest shelter in the United States of America by far. We have over 7,000 congregations doing this across the nation. Last year, we rescued 123,000 people this way. So this is no small thing. It's a beautiful thing that's happening all over this country, solving homelessness by partnering with the community. You know, and not to make light of the, the great work that you just described that you do, but the government should hear about this. And I mean, I mean, it's so, it's so life-changing what you're saying, but the government turns around and, you know, they, well, let's put a building up here or let's put, put the people in here. And it's like, just put them in a building so that he can have a place to sleep. You're healing families from, from the inside out, Amen. which is just, it's just incredible. And like you say, it is life changing. So when they get through the, the different weeks that they're there, mm-hmm. have you spoken? I'm sure you probably have spoken to people from when they started the program to when they have, they, they have basically healed. Yes. Okay. To the end. Comments? Sure, of course. Um, I mean, let's be really clear about the goal. Our goal is sustainable housing. So we teach families how to manage cash. We teach them how to get wraparound services so they're protected. Their children are protected in the event that they were to fall back into homelessness. Uh, We get people back on the horse, which is employment. So we're all about work. We're a rigorous program. So if you want to sit around, it's not at Family Promise. We're rigorous. But we graduate 70% of our families successfully. So let's speak to this subject of what do families say? Let me begin with this. 
Um, families love that their children feel good at Family Promise. If you were to come into our facilities today or this new development, you're going to find that they're beautiful. They don't feel like shelters. They feel like little villages, little communities with playgrounds and colors, and the kids love it. And that to moms, I'm not a mom, but I can appreciate the role that mothers play in seeing their children feel good again. When families come into us, often those children are acting out. They're out of school. They are um, humiliated, especially if they're in the teen years, they're humiliated. So to bring that back out, take it out of them, that feeling of hopelessness, bring back that you're a good person, that you can have fun again. When they're at the congregations, we ask our volunteers to bring their families to serve our families. And it's kids with kids. And let me tell you a little secret. Kids don't see homelessness. They just see kids. It's so beautiful. So I think the one thing I hear from families the most is gratitude, that somebody can treat them this way, treat them with love and compassion. And then the other piece that I think is an important variable here is we don't push families. We don't pull families. We walk alongside families. And that's also critical. And they know that, that these are good people who've seen the abyss and they don't want to be there anymore. And we're just there to walk alongside them to navigate the challenges of getting back to self-sufficiency. And it works. And I agree with you completely, Stephen, that we need to do more of these kind of solutions in our country. I Absolutely. I, I, it, it just, it's, it's a no-brainer. And it's amazing. I mean, Mel, you think, I mean, children growing up, I mean, I know my daughter, how she was when she grew up, but she she had a pretty good life. But, you know, the things that children see and perceive as you grow up are are different. Like I could see like the, the kids are at this facility. They see a lot of kids, but they don't see the, like the adult big picture of what's really going on here and how, how your organization is actually helping them really become family again, mm-hmm. you know, and, and have that closer unit instead of being, pulled and distraught from all these outside forces that life throws at us. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. Yeah. Incredible. I got to say, uh, I used to mentor, um, quite a bit, uh, when, you know, uh, young girls and, uh, this was years ago, but I just want to say that I think when you have families that have children that are in those circumstances, these kids are not really kids anymore. Um, they're worrying about where they're going to eat next, where they're going to sleep. They have adult problems. They have taken on their parents' responsibilities. I'll never forget uh, the first um, uh, preteen. She was preteen when I started uh, mentoring her. The worries that came from her were adult worries. Mm -hmm. And it broke my heart to see that, you know, what, how is, how's my mom going to pay the light bill? Um, you know, ways of them making money to be able to, you know, take care of their family. And we're talking a 12 year old and that is not the same situation as being homeless, but they were always on the verge of becoming homeless very easily. And it was a mom who escaped an abusive relationship and lost her whole community and uh, was able to get a job, but barely surviving, you know, with her three kids. And, um, you know, I'll never forget uh, having that feeling. And listen, when I grew up, I didn't have much. And I think that was the reason for me wanting to give back is because you don't have to become, you know, your environment or the circumstance that you were in as a child. You get to become something greater than that. You don't have to be that product of your environment. You know, I remember always hearing that apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Well, yes, it can. You can make that decision, you know, and especially being a woman, I think that uh, being able to show young girls, you can go to school, you can become something great. You don't have to, you know, depend on anybody else to take care of you. You can do whatever you want. Uh, just, just keep that focus. And I'll tell you that, that really tears at my heart to, to hear you say about the kids being embarrassed, because I cannot tell you how accurate that is. 
uh, but they take on their worries, you know, and of course they want to stay together as a family unit. If you think about the state getting involved and of course the foster kids that are living in commercial, you know, high-rise buildings in downtown because there is not enough families out there to become foster parents. And, you know, I had looked into that at one point. It's not easy. It's not an easy process to become a foster parent, especially having three boys, you know, and and you're taking on these children that, you know, have issues that, you know, maybe they have been abused and that is a big risk for you to take on as your family. But I, I can tell you that, um, those moms want their kids to stay with them. And there are chances that those kids won't be at times. And that's the thing that I wish that our government could step up and say, hey, we're going to create this housing for your families to stay together because there is an opportunity for them to leave their children or their child could be taken away. But what happens to that parent? That kid doesn't want to leave that that parent, you know? And so I've I've got to see that, and it's uh, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, so. I mean it's hard for the because the, the the child doesn't want to, you know, may understand the situation, but they really it doesn't really matter. They want to just be with the parent, right? And just be that way. But Ted, you said something. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, you had said something before that is like music to our ears, and that's sustainable housing. Yes. And that's one of the things we're going to talk with you about when we come back, as well as Carl Faust here is going to be with us. We're going to be talking about this great new facility that uh, we're going to, you know, I hope uh, we'll be one of the first people to share it with the public. So stay tuned. You're listening to Boxcar Universe. Chances are, when it's time to call a service professional, you need someone right away. Who can you call for those electrical problems fast? The answer is Mr. Electric, a licensed, bonded, and insured company serving the Valley of the Sun since 2000. Some of their residential and commercial services include expert troubleshooting, replacing an outlet, hanging a ceiling fan, or upgrading your electric service, and much more. Rest assured, all work is guaranteed. Call today for your appointment, 480 480- You can find them on the web at phoenixmetro.mrelectric.com. Remember, at Mr. Electric, we have the power to make things better. All right. The train is definitely coming down the track now, and I do mean it's going to be coming down, uh, going to be coming down Grand Avenue soon, maybe <laughs> 59th Avenue, right? It's going to be over in that area. We're going to be talking with uh, Ted Taylor, who is here with us, in case you joined us late, from Family Promise, and our resident container builder, Carl Faust, is here from IMS Builders. And uh, Carl, how are you doing today? Doing great. Doing great. Great. Thank you for uh, introducing us to Ted and having us both of you here on the show today. Um, Ted, tell us about this project. And Carl, uh, feel free to chime in because this is just some, this is a great discussion here that we're going to be able to build on. I want to hear all about it. So the number one problem in homelessness in America is the lack of affordable housing. And in the Phoenix area, we're the 48th worst housing state in the nation in that this measurement for every 100 units of extremely low income housing necessary in the valley we only have 20 units available which means that the snowball is getting bigger not better and with high market rate housing prices today especially for uh, multifamily apartments they just simply are not building affordable housing And when your emergency shelter is serving families and graduating them into housing, it becomes a real predicament. And so we finally reached the point after uh, 13 years here in the, or excuse me, 23 years here in the Valley, that we needed to jump into this somehow. We needed to be a part of this solution. And so um, I was actually introduced to Carl when I looked at a project at Central Arizona Shelter Services 
and he was an integral part of the human services campus's build of the Respivo shelter. Uh, I actually met you at that meeting. Enclosure. That's correct. And I discovered that he had a boatload of skills that we didn't know about. And the quality of his work at that new facility was outstanding. And um, so we began to form this idea of what if we could create a village that was affordable to graduate families into and to work with other shelters who needed affordable housing and where we could control whether we use Section 8 vouchers, whether they were efficient uh, units built well that would last, whether they uh, the individuals had drug histories or prison records or credit problems, we could still allow them into our property if we were running it. So we created this concept with Carl's help, this design of a village that felt very different than anything we'd ever seen in container homes, where we purposely were building a little community where people would feel really safe and comfortable inside. And uh, so that's where this came about. And it just so happened when we started talking about this that it became very interesting because the zoning had never really addressed micro-housing communities this way, where we had discovered there's a way to do this by right without actually having to get additional council approval and all that kind of stuff. We Which could do it that by could, right. That could just tie you up in red tape forever. It can kill projects. Absolutely. And so we were like, we stumbled into this. And I think uh, IMS has just been vital to creating a beautiful design that the city is looking at and and thinking, wow, this would be an asset to our community. Uh, we're doing it with private money for the most part because we wanted to be really innovative about the way we're doing it. And we wanted it to be solar independent. So we actually created it with enough solar on it that the energy costs would neutralize. Uh, so there will be no energy costs to the renters on this property. SRP will love you. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, this community was, at the end of the day, what makes this so interesting is it's affordable housing in a micro platform, six living units, all two bedroom apartments, 640 square feet apiece, made out of containers, managed by a nonprofit on less than a half an acre of ground. And the reason is no big developers will touch that ground Yet we have congregational relationships all over this valley with extra ground zoned multifamily residential. So this is a very interesting step that developers are like, what are they doing? And cities are going, what? <laughs> They're developing on church properties, these multifamily village mm -hmm. villages. And so I'm just inspired with how this came about. I'll praise God for that. This amazing idea. And IMS has helped to design it in such a way that it's so friendly, so beautiful, and uh, and so cost-effective, a third the cost of traditional multifamily housing in, in final build and, and done in a quality way. Absolutely. So, Carl, tell us a little bit about the, the design. <laughs> well, I mean, we've gone through a lot of changes, um, but I think we've come up with something that looks really nice from both the outside uh, and the inside. Uh, we've gone through all the plans with the state because we are we're a manufactured builder, so we we go through the state, and I've got everything approved. So we're just I mean, we're just waiting to basically kick the first one off, which is out in Glendale. Mm -hmm. There is property out there. Um, I mean, we're excited about it because I think it's a a type of build that's it, it's relatively simple. We're not doing a lot with the containers. We've you know building out the insides of them, but they're just too connected by a doorway and. Plumbing is underneath. We've got the solar on top. Um, some things I'm thinking about in the, for the future ones, we do some you know, macerating toilets or some other things that we basically can even get cleaner and, and save more money. So there's a bunch of things that we're working on. And, you know, Ted's been a pleasure to work with. Um, and we, you know, we're excited about having not only this community kick off, but, you know, others to help around the valley. Can I give Carl, a little bit more credit than he's, he's a <laughs> humble guy, but I want to just point out a couple of things. First, these are not like mobile homes at all. This is commercial grade. Like these containers can last, it seems like forever. They last 50 years. Yeah. And the internal construction on these is all like commercial building. So it's metal studs, 
five eighths inch drywall. I mean, this is, we have firewalls between the units. We have sprinklers in them. They're ADA designed. This is really deep long-term planning so that we can have these properties and not have nightmares, but have uh, uh, workable properties Mm -hmm. for a long time. So I feel like the city was surprised by the amount of design involved in this and how beautiful it's come out. And we just can't wait to get it debuted. And so I'm with you. Let's get these things built and over with. You well, know? That's, I mean, it's going to be an, an amazing thing. And for those of our listeners who actually are wondering, you know, some of the descriptions that Ted had said regarding the containers themselves, if you go on the Boxcar Universe website, click on the television tab in the toolbar, and the very first video comes up, there is video of Carl's facility showing how and some of the work that gets done, what the studs, like the metal studs, the plumbing, the electric, all of that gets done. So this way you can get an idea of the quality goes into building the containers. It's not just, hey, let's throw some, you know, two by fours up and some drywall and call it a day. No, these these containers are done in a quality way. And all the ones that, you know, Mel and I have seen down at Carl's facility, whether it be commercial or residential, they're all done with the same quality of work. So you're absolutely right how that how that's going to look. And it's going to it's going to make for longevity for the entire uh, project. I think one of the things that blew me away the most is that everybody's perception of modular building is the staggered look with 10 feet apart and they're caddy, you know, they're tilted and that's not at all what this community looked like, looks like, right? They're adjoining each other. They're a, a courtyard created uh, central area. It's just so different than anything you think of as modular. They're all ground-based. Mm-hmm. So they're foundationed on slabs. So it really is just so different than perceptions in the marketplace. And I think that serves us in affordable housing. It makes it feel like home. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I think you're right. Tell us a little bit about the timeline. How How is that all working now that, I mean, you, what you've cut through in red tape with the city is just, it's it's phenomenal because, you know, we with the container homes and the research that we've done, you know, people want to do an, an ADU in their backyard or they want to put, a, they have a piece of property they want to put it here. But the always, the very first question we always ask, well, what's the zoning? And that could throw you off and, you know, kill a project immediately you know, but you've gotten through all that. But tell us a little bit about the timeline. So um, we've been working on this pretty aggressively for about eight months. Uh, Carl and I were working on another project prior to that, but but about eight months. And, and the city has really been uh, trying to cooperate with us on us, trying to work through all the details. Um, but it's taken that long to get the designs through the state process. All of the, you know, we had to design it, of course, from the ground up. So a fair amount of architectural work involved here to design the entire community and all the interiors. Um, But that just uh, cleared in the latter part of December, got all the final approvals on the dwelling units as well as the office and laundry facility. Um, Going right now, we're waiting on the town of Gilbert, or the town of Glendale. This property is at 59th Avenue and Bethany Home, just to give you a Mm -hmm. sense of it. Um, uh, They are holding... Uh, all of the original plans, and we have uh, asked for accessory use, and they have denied it. And that is for very specific reasons, because they don't want it replicated over and over again. And so our goal is ultimately to get allow accessory use that would uh, create this possibility all over the valley. But for this first development, we have submitted a uh, minor land division uh, that was submitted uh, in early December. Uh, they are in; it's in draft form. We're expecting a feedback on that and approval on that at draft level in the next week or two, and then we'll go to surveys. So I would say, once that division is done, we should see uh, uh, documents going to design review in February, and we already know that's approved. They've agreed to all the design modifications, so we're thinking. We're done with all the city process other than, uh, you know, all the way to permits um, in February. And so that would put us, based on timelines of three to five months for manufacturing, put us somewhere in June, July. We'll be paralleling all the site work uh, while the, the units are being manufactured. 
And then, of course, our goal is not to stop here. We've got other projects we're hoping to begin deploying fairly quickly Along the after way, that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so they, they may be a little simpler, too. So. Yeah. 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 Right. And, and obviously, they could overlap a little bit depending on, you know, the progress and how many containers get done. How many units are we are we going to have at the one on 59th Avenue in Bethany Home? Six dwelling units. Those Six. are each made with two high cube containers welded together to create a 640 square foot two bedroom apartment with commercial grade um, fixtures inside, inside, mini splits on the outside. So we're really highly efficient on the on the HVAC side of this. Um, uh, and then we have an office and laundry unit at the front. So six dwelling units uh, that are virtually identical. And by the way, they're furn- going to be furnished by IKEA, just so you know. Oh. Um, you and then get the crew out there to start assembling right away. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I didn't know that Mel was in the design work, and I'm sorry about that, Mel, but I would that might even be interesting. But but uh, and then the office and laundry unit is yeah. at the front of the property. You know, I bet I, I'm sure that the city was very excited when you were going to tell them of that you were going to include solar in this project. Yeah, they were. Um, they were a little concerned about the angle of the solar. The optimum angle is 30 degrees, and they decided it needed to lay flat on the roof, which means we lose 10 degrees of efficiency because they didn't like the way it changed the look from the outside. And I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm not good at politics, but I don't understand. I like the efficiency of 30% and I don't want to lose 10%. So the solar has to set flat on the roofs instead of at a 30 degree angle, but they're excited about the efficiency of solar for sure. Well, maybe, Carl, have you ever thought of like a short parapet to hide the, (laughs) would you think so? (laughs) I was going to say that's the number one thing. We could actually actually have them raise up and down. So maybe they just raise up and down. Oh, yeah, there you go. I like that. They move according to the way the sun angle is. This is good. But the city couldn't say anything about that, right? I thought it was fascinating. I'm, I'm because I'm not in the building mode. That's really Carl's expertise. I thought it was really interesting when in one of our meetings with the city, uh, the city said we would like for you to maybe put a parapet up or something to hide the solar, and our architect said no. <laughs> exactly right. That we're not going to compromise the beauty of this captured system, this sealed, well built really well-designed system by a fake wall. And I just thought it was beautiful. And by the way, they agreed. I'm glad he stuck up for that. He stuck to his guns. That's very good. And, you know, because it's not all about, uh, you know, going to say yes to everybody, you know, and just having to compromise a lot of times. So therefore you, you are like that. But this is, this is a really good uh, situation. So Carl's going to be, you know, we're going to cover all this when it starts to build, you know, whether the site as well as, you know, down on, uh, in Eloy and Carl's facility when you start building those. Because that's going to be, uh, it's going to be really, really good see to start building. You know, we might even be able to get you some drone footage as the thing gets built. That Love would be that. good. I have, I have a video of people that can actually do that. So, um, but this is really good, but we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Ted and Carl again, and we're going to be talking about the, uh, family promise big charity event coming in March, March 30th, 2023, which is the way time is moving along. It's going to be right around the corner. So I want everybody to stay tuned. You're listening to boxcar universe. Alva with Alva Interiors and co-host of Boxcar Universe. As a professional interior designer with over 22 years experience, I'm excited to bring my knowledge to the Boxcar Universe show. As a full-service interior design studio, we see your designs from the conceptual phase through to the styling and furnishing of your home. At Alva Interiors, our team approaches every design project with a fashion meets design sense to execute timeless interiors style that makes a statement. You can find us on the web at alvainteriorsaz.com, on Facebook at alvainteriorsaz, and on Instagram at alvainteriors.
All right, we are back, and you're listening to Boxcar Universe, and we are having a great show today. We're speaking with Ted Taylor. He's the CEO of Family Promise, and Carl Faust is here with us from IMS Builders, and we're talking about the fabulous container, uh, new container home that homes are going to be built over here, uh, as they say, on the west side. And uh, But we want to talk a little bit about now about the uh, Family Promise charity event in March. And we want to let all our listeners know about this because we want to be able to get the community involved and get behind Family Promise in this so that they can be part of what you're building. Tell us a little bit about it. Fabulous. So um, Family Promise is uh, mostly private, uh, funded by private money, grants and individual giving. And uh, so we have only two events a year. One's a golf tournament. And the other one is this wine, Wines Around the World event. And it's held in, at the Clayton House in Scottsdale, which is a beautiful venue uh, by a, a supporter of Family Promise. And we call it auctiontainment because the auction auctioneer is really entertainment. But the wines are literally from around the world. And so we provide each uh, uh, attendee a certain number of tickets to to. Uh, taste the wines from around the world and choose what they like. And uh, and then, of course, the purpose of the event is to raise money to serve more of these families who've lost their homes. And so we have uh, auction items like trips all over the world uh, that are donated to us. And uh, you can bid on those and get uh, amazing opportunities to travel. Uh, there's also, for example, electric bikes, electric cars for kids. There's all kinds of things in the uh, silent auction where people can bid on them and, and uh, take those away uh, that day. And then finally, we just ask everybody to help out uh, by a gift of, of your resources to help these families get out of the situation that they're in. So uh, last year, uh, it was absolutely a grand slam. We raised uh, over a, almost a quarter of a million dollars for families at that event that night. Wow, that is and, fabulous. Uh, so it's March the 30th. At the Clayton House, uh, the tickets, uh, I think, are $250 apiece. That's real. It's going to be a really unique event. for, And we, I'm sure you you have goals to break your record. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, yeah. Yeah. And take that money and use it. I mean, uh, is it is it is all that money used in, in the way? I'm sure it's used in a lot of different ways. But, you know, in the way for facilities management, you know, and programs. And so think of it, think of it this way, Stephen, it's pretty important that because of the largest donor to family promise is the congregations who provide food and lodging. Basically this funding provides the logistical capability for us to partner with the faith community to cover the transportation costs, the case management, uh, the ability to get bus passes for families. So it's really the mechanism that allows us to cooperate with the faith community. So it makes it inexpensive to do it, but so that that money goes a long way. For every dollar that we raise, we are able to produce about $3 worth of return from the congregational participation at no cost. So this works really well. Right. Now, do you, do you, uh, how do you add on like with being that's all faith based are you uh are are you getting other churches involved in being able to help participate and grow the the way, the amount of people that you help you bet so the way we grow is by having more <clears throat> congregations participate that's a key part of our growth uh we have five sites across the valley now and those sites are basically day centers think of them as day centers um so they hub out of there um, but I would say this to you. We are an interfaith organization. Yes, I'm a Christian man, but we welcome all faiths at Family Promise. Uh, and I literally mean all faiths. And we welcome all faith communities to serve our families. So we have churches, we have synagogues, and I'm working with mosques to be able to host our families. So truly, it is a community-based solution. That's really great. Tell our listeners how they could contact uh, family Promise. So the easiest way is uh, go to our website, familypromiseaz.org, uh, and you can click on the events page if you want to attend the wine event sure. and register that way. Um, but there's many ways to volunteer at Family Promise or to help us uh, financially with a donation, charitable tax credits. Uh, we are a qualified charity 
for charitable tax credits, and they are huge for Family Promise. So you can give those donations as well. That is it's really great. I, you know, I can, words cannot express to me the gratitude I feel for what you're doing for all these families. It's just, it's just simply amazing. And, you know, the, um, we talk about logistical source that the money provides the logistical source that this man over here, Carl Faust is supplying for you with the quality buildings that are going to be put up or it's just phenomenal. So, I mean, give Carl a little round of applause for, for his, his part in this because it's it's without without a quality builder all this could not have happened exactly so right. it's really great so i'm glad you guys really partnered us i'm very glad that we were able to meet you today and be able to help you move forward with all the things that you want to promote and be an integral part of the community with you thank you very much i appreciate the opportunity today. that's really great thank you Ted. all right and it, that is our show for today we want to just thank uh Ted and Carl for being here with us today and uh, we'll keep bringing you more updates on the project as we get the information coming along. And uh, like I say, the, the initial one is going to be on 59th Avenue and Bethany home road. So, you know, uh, if you're in the area and you see that intersection, if there's some space over there, you could rest assured that there by the summertime, there's going to be some, a container village, which is going to be simply awesome. And we'll make sure we get uh, all the coverage to get the word out to all the people. And uh, remember, you always have your uh, Boxcar Universe information here. If you're looking for a container home, make sure you contact Mel or I. We were able to get you and and speak with you about your needs and wants. And uh, also, it's all about in 2023, let us containerize your lifestyle. Have a great week.